Thank you, Janet. Our sermon today is from Luke 7, verses 18 through 23. If you'd please rise out of honor of God's word. Luke 7, verses 18 through 23. We're going to be looking at, well, John the Baptist. Luke 7, verses 18 through 23. That's found on page 1098 in your Black Pew Bible. They read in Jesus' name. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is, sorry about that, who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Let us pray. Father, as we come to study your word, to meditate upon these truths, to strive to apply them into our lives, I ask that you would bless us. Lord, that you would guide us, that you would be honored through this. Lord, that you might be glorified in us and among us. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So last week, we talked about um, how Jesus raised the widow's son. The, how Je- and then we, two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus heals a centurion servant. And so as, as John is continuing his progression, we start to see John emphasizing the miracles of Jesus. Before, he'd been emphasizing the teachings of Jesus. You know, we had the Sermon on the Plain. We walked through that. And I was looking at the teachings of Jesus you know, him being the Messiah over the whole world, guiding the whole world in wisdom. And really, the Sermon on the Plain, a lot of it's, you could see it as wisdom literature. How do we live in this world according to the light of God? How would God have us live in this world? And that's, that's wisdom literature. So now we start to see the miracles of Jesus. And probably Jesus has been doing miracles this whole time. He's teaching this whole time. And so as John's going through these, He's just emphasizing certain aspects of Jesus' life, bringing them out. And so we see this progression, and now we're starting to see the, um, well, how do I say this? The reputation of Jesus spreading and starting to interact with other people. Did I say John? Ah, phooey. It happens. Yes, I mean Luke. Thank you. And so within this, yeah, Luke's teaching us, not John. I don't know. I've got John in my mind. That that might be it. Who knows? There's all sorts of reasons why my brain does what it does and seldom do I know them. (laughs) Which is scary. Um, But nevertheless, so Luke is doing this. He's bringing these things out. He's emphasizing these things. So now we start to see how that reputation is affecting really the people around him. Because our reputations have an effect on the people around us. 
And Jesus' reputation being the Messiah. And John the Baptist, remember, he had called Jesus a Messiah. We read about that in the book of John. And how John the Baptist says, this is, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And then when John baptized him, which has already happened in the book of Luke, he saw the Holy Spirit descend as a dove upon Jesus. And so John saw that. So not only did John know this as a child, that Mary's son, oldest son, is, uh, is the Messiah, because, you know, Elizabeth would have told him, and John leapt in the womb when, he, when Elizabeth and Mary met. Not only did he have that, and then the time in the wilderness, and then, then he you know, proclaimed it to the disciples, and then he had this evidence. He kind of knew that this is Messiah, but what does it mean? Because right now, John, John's in prison. So the Messiah has come, but John, the Baptist, John, the forerunner, John, the prophet of prophets, is in jail for preaching the gospel. He's in jail for speaking the truth. He's in jail just for calling someone to repent, telling them, you know, the life that you're living isn't good. It's not beneficial because that was Herod was, well, Herod became married to his brother's wife. And there's still some, there is some debate as to whether or not the brother was still married to her at the time that Herod married her. So it, it's a mess. It's a mess looks like the relationships that are going on in America nowadays. It's a mess. But John's in jail for this. And Jesus, he's the Messiah. And what's the Messiah supposed to be doing? You know, the Messiah is supposed to be coming preaching the gospel, but the Messiah is also supposed to be coming bringing judgment. Because woe upon the unrighteous, woe upon the wicked when the day of the Lord comes. And so all the Jewish people are looking forward to someone who's going to come and he's going to bring good for the righteous people, that is the Jews, and he's going to bring judgment, condemnation, persecution, hardship upon everybody else. But that's not what they're seeing. And so John is sitting in jail waiting for this, waiting for this deliverance. And you know what? I think John's being tempted. We're not told specifically how John's interacting with this. But when John starts to hear about this stuff, what he does is he sends messengers. And so all the commentaries I read, they basically all agreed that John's being tempted by doubt right now. Not necessarily disbelief. Because we know that Jesus, John knows that God's going to send a Messiah. Is Jesus really this Messiah though? Is he the Messiah? Maybe, maybe Jesus is the forerunner. Maybe they're looking for someone else. Because John, he's, he's captive. And you know what? Modern jails. I went and visited someone in jail yesterday. It's pretty nice, especially in comparison to the dungeon that John's in. Because the dungeon that John's in is below a castle. Like, it's underground. It's subterranean. It's dark. They're being fed poor food. You know, that's nothing like our modern jail system or prison system for that matter. Not that I would really want to be in our modern jail system or prison system, but John's got it way worse. John's got it worse for doing righteousness. And that would be a time of doubt. And that would be a time of temptation. A temptation to, well, is this the guy or is this not the guy? We're seeing some of the things. You know, is is another Messiah coming? Did we miss, did I miss this somehow? Because I don't know about you guys, have you ever had that happen? Did I miss something? Looking around, 
what the world I thought I was living in isn't really the world I was living in? Maybe there's something wrong with me. And, and that's what John's asking himself. And so, what do we do? What do we do when that happens? We take every thought captive to Christ. Not only was John captive, but he's taking his doubt to Christ. Which is what we're called to do, aren't we? Because Paul tells us that. Forgetting the passage right offhand. It slipped out of my mind. But, you know, to take every thought captive to Christ. And so that, that doubt, that wondering, what do we do? We bring that back to Jesus. Jesus, is this legitimate? Jesus, is this the way that you would have me thinking about this? Jesus, is this sin? I actually had to do that. I had to do that this week. I was feeling impatient. Have you guys ever felt impatient before? Probably not. Um, it's just me. But I was feeling impatient and I talked to Kirsten about it and then I was cleaning our garage and, and I was praying about it and I was thinking about it and I was like, okay, I got to bring this captive. I got to bring this, take this captive. I can't just let this thought of impatience, this feeling of impatience, I can't just let that live inside of me because that's not good. God tells me not to be impatient. So then I had to take it and I had to bring it to Jesus and say, Lord, is this legitimate? I bring that to you. Is this legitimate? And it struck me, no, that's sin. My impatience is sin. Oh, well, forgive me. The way I'm interacting with this situation is actually sinful. I'm going to trust you with that then. I'm going to trust you with the timing of that. This is sin. And so that's what this means. That's what John's doing here too. Because John is a great example of this. Because John, feeling that temptation, what does he do with it? Brings it to Jesus. Sends messengers. Is that, are you the Messiah or are we to wait for another? And so that's what we do. And so when these things reappear in us, what do we do? Bring it again. When they reappear in us, what do we do? We bring it again. So I was, I was actually contemplating the fruits of the Spirit. And, uh, well, thanks, Lindy. Lindy sent me the passage. It's from 2 Corinthians 10.5. So, 2 Corinthians 10.5. Take all of these thoughts captive to Christ. And so when they reappear, we bring them captive to Christ again. Because our thoughts, they don't have to rule us. Our feelings, they don't have to rule us. We bring them to Jesus. We ask him to deal with them. We ask him, are these legitimate? Is this right? This doubt that John's feeling, is this proper? So what did Jesus do? Jesus gives him proofs. And this is great. Because this is what God does for us too. Because this is why, this is why as Protestants, and it should be everybody, but this is why as Protestants, we put so much emphasis on knowing our Bibles. Because you know what? Some of the reformers were killed in order to get people their Bibles. You think about that. Think about what Wycliffe went through in order to get people Bibles in their, translate, in, in their language, their native language. You know, think how they, he was treated. He was killed and then he was burned and then his ashes were spread in the river so that, you know, nobody could have a martyr's grave for him. And he did. He went through that. He was on the run from the law. He was on the run from the, the religious law as well in order to get us our Bibles. And so that we, need, we, you know, we have an obligation to know these things because God has given us his word. Because then as we seek God, if we don't know our Bibles, 
Now, how do we know that the thoughts coming through our minds, how do we sift through those things? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, we're told in Romans 12 too. You know, that's what we're called to do. And how do we do that? How do we renew our minds? It's through the word of God. So that we can take these thoughts captive to Christ because when Christ responds to us, he responds in biblical proofs. So you know what the biblical proof that God gave me on, well, it was just yesterday actually when I was dealing with this. It was the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. It's like I'm not feeling peace and patience about this situation. So it's a pretty good recommendation from God that this probably isn't from God. This is sinful. This isn't a fruit of the Spirit. This is a fruit of the world. This is a fruit of my flesh. This is a fruit of Satan. It's sin. Because if this came from God, I'd be patient about it. If this thought was from God, there'd be peace about it. There wasn't. This was sin. So God gives us biblical proofs. But as we seek God and he gives us these biblical proofs, I was actually reading earlier this week in First uh, Chronicles, where King David tells Solomon, if you seek the Lord, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off. So if you seek the Lord, he will be found by you. So God gives us these proofs. God gives us his word. He promises us this. And so what do we do with it? We put it into practice. We put it into action. We do it. We live it out. But you know what? Does that mean that I can dictate which proofs God's going to give me? No. God's no genie. You know, how many times have you said, okay, God, you know, write it in the sky. I just want to know in an absolute sense. How many times has God done it? Sometimes he does. Not always. He doesn't always give us the proofs that we want. Because they would have really known had Jesus started condemning the Romans started conquering them, you know, then you would have known that Jesus was the Messiah. Oh, he gives some proofs. He doesn't give all of them. He gives some evidence. He doesn't get everything that people want. You know, where is, where's my own vine and my own fig tree? Because that was the other part of the promise of the Messiah, that every man would have their own vine and fig tree. You know, and there were poor people during Jesus' day walking around too. But where's all the evidence? Well, Jesus will give us some. You know what that requires of us? Humility. Okay, this is what God has shown me. And so, you know, I could yesterday I could have prayed, okay, God, if you want me to have peace about this, if you want me to be patient, then give to me what I want. <laughs> have you guys ever said that? Yeah, God, I'll be patient about it once I have it in my hands. God, I will trust you once I don't have to trust you anymore. <laughs> you know, no, that's not the way it works. Because that's actually pride. That's arrogance. That's me saying, God, you're my genie. You do what I want. God, you didn't answer my prayer. Obviously, you're not God. You didn't do what I wanted. You didn't do it the way that I wanted. You didn't do it at the time that I wanted. And I know best. Because I'm Norwegian. And we do. No. It's this... We see John, we see Jesus interacting with John, calling him to be humble. Okay, hey, look at all the things that I'm doing. These are all proofs. These are all evidences. But John's still in prison. John's still facing hardship. 
John's still facing difficulty. John's still struggling. How could Jesus be the Messiah and still let his people struggle? Suffer. So Jesus closes this off. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I'll tell you what, that's huge. Because that's what's going on nowadays too. God doesn't give us all of our wishes. But he's God. You know, Kirsten and I have been, and we've we brought it up a few times as well for prayer requests, this young man that we, we know, the mother, who has, uh, who has cancer. And she's not a believer. You know, and we hear stuff like, don't say that you're praying for him, you know, stuff on Facebook. Um, don't say that you're praying for him. What sort of God would, would allow a child to have cancer? What sort of God would do that? You know, that's not a good God. Why would you pray to such a God? We can't trust such a God to answer our prayers. You know, God's not some, why would you, why would you say that? And there's this anger, you know, Praise God that he's doing better. It wasn't God that made him better. It was the doctors that made him better. It was the medicine that made him better. God's the one that gave him cancer. You know, you hear stuff like that. You read that. It's like, ah. Oh. So what do they think about God? The God's just some genie in the sky that grants wishes. You know, that if we're good enough or if we're innocent enough, like a child, that God would never let a bad thing happen to an innocent person or to a child for that matter or to someone who's righteous like me. Because usually that's the way it goes. No, they probably had some sin in their life, but why did this happen to me? No, that, God's not some genie. And so then we get offended by that. God, you didn't do what I wanted you to do. I thought we were in a relationship here. I thought you were my homeboy. You know, Jesus is my homeboy, that sort of thing. I thought you were my buddy. I thought you were the guy that's supposed to give me everything I want in this world so then I can have heaven in the next. I thought we were in church triumphant, right? I thought we had a theology of glory. So use Lutheran terminology. I thought we had that. I thought you answered my wishes. No, we live, we, we have a theology of the cross. We live in church militant. We're in a battle. We're in a battle for the souls of humanity. And so if God allows some of his people to struggle and to suffer so that we can greater glorify God, there we... I was speaking to one fellow who had, well, it actually, it was Bruce, Bruce and Lori Anderson. We were talking to them about the time when Rebecca had cancer. And he said, it's amazing to see the power of your witness when you're struggling in comparison to when everything's going well. You think about that. So why do we as Christians go through struggles? Is it because God's mad at us? Obviously God's mad at us. Because if God was happy with us, everything would be going well. If God was mad at Jesus? No, that's not the way it works. Why do we go through struggles? For the sake of the souls of the people that don't know Jesus. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. What does that mean? Things aren't always going to go your way. Things aren't always going to go according to your wishes. Why? For the sake of the souls that don't know Jesus. For the sake of our souls. Because you know what? Because I was, well, we were talking at Youth for Christ. Eileen was a, came to Youth for Christ because she's a youth, something like that. Well, I was there too. But, uh, you know, how many of us, at the end of a struggle, when we've gone through it and we see God deliver, 
have said, you know what? That was really good for me. That was really good for me. You know, I think about the, the infertility that Kirsten and I dealt with. That was fun, wasn't it? No. That was really good for us. I think about some of the trials that we've had with our children. You guys probably never dealt with those either. Those aren't necessarily fun, but they're really good for us. I have learned so much about my own sin dealing with my children. It's amazing. I didn't know I was as much of a sinner until I had kids. <laughs> God has shown me so much. Praise God. Blessed is the one who's not offended because of me. And so when we, we set that offense aside, instead of taking that option, we take trust. Jesus says, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. Does this mean you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise? No, it means you're going to be wise. Does this mean that everything's going to go your way? No. It means you'll get to see God. Get to see God. Get to see God work it out. Get to see God come through. Get to see God use this in the lives of the people around us. You get to see God. What greater blessing is there? David says, I will be content when I awake in your righteousness. Sorry, it's a new King James. I don't know why I don't have that memorized in the ESV, but whatever. You know, you think about that. What is David saying? When will he be content? He understands God. And he sees God and becomes like God. That's what David was looking for. That's what we're told in the book of Psalms. That's the greatest blessing. Not to have more money, not to have more land, not to have more power, not to have more of these other things. It's to be like Christ. Blesses the one who's not offended. So instead of taking offense when things aren't going your way, you say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. When you have doubt, what do you do? You bring it to Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I'm not just going to start looking for some other way to get this worked out. I'm going to trust you and I'm going to walk in your way. Well, things aren't going my way. Praise God. He knows best. So you know what? You know what I want you to do right now? Think of something in your life that hurts and say, thank you, Jesus, that you're going to work it out. Say that. We need to speak these things out. Thank you, Jesus, that you're going to work this out. Yeah, you'll do it. Maybe not to the end that you want, but to a better end. To a better end. Trust Jesus. Don't be offended by him. Trust Jesus. He is the Messiah. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we, we can trust you. We can trust you. That Jesus is the proper representation of God. Thank you. You sent him into this world. Lord, that you are powerful and that you are active and that you love us. And that even though things are sometimes frustrating and don't, don't move as fast as we'd like them to, or sometimes move faster than we want them to, Lord, we thank you. May we not be offended. Let's trust you, praise you, love you. Look forward to when you work these things out to your glory, to our benefit, or that we might become like you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.